Hey guys, George Messa, Third Eye Edify podcast, and I am so excited to bring on a very old friend of mine from way back in the day, <laughs> high school, junior high. I mean, I have so many memories. You know, we would we would be talking at like you like we just joked about, you know, high school lunch, or I would we would be at a mutual friends party or something, and we're always in the same places at the same time a lot. It was just great. I have nothing but great memories, and um, I'd love to welcome Ryder to the show. He just released a fantastic new book that I suggest everybody checks out, The Ancient Art of Living Well, even if you're living well. I really, <laughs> truly believe that there are so many little nuggets in this book, the way it's organized, the way it flows. Um, it, it flew by when I was reading it, too. You know, it's just it, because of the, the nature of how it was written, I, I can tell that you really made sure that that you you knocked out of the park with this. I could tell that you were you were you had a, a deep desire to do it right. Yeah. And and based on you've already lived five lives in my opinion. So based on all the things that you've done and been through, all the countries and continents that you've been to, um it it shows. Everything shows and you're still coming from it's like you're you're somebody's old friend just talking too. That's the other part. It's a very approachable book. It's not putting this, you know, oh, if you didn't know all these things, then there's no point in reading this book. Mm -hmm. It's not like that at all. And I think it's a really big success because of that. Oh, George, really thank do. you so much, my man. Like we were saying before we started here that uh, it's been a long time and we've always been kindred spirits, you know, flames of the, of the same candle in some respect. And it's beautiful after all these years to catch back up like a day's never gone by man so this is a, a blessing and and my privilege i'm very humbled and and thank you so much for allowing me to share a little bit of my story my work with your with your audience and your fans i know you spent some time establishing yourself and following getting your following and fan base up and you know, to them try to spread a message of trying to find health happiness and fulfillment in the world so thank you my friend that's right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I remember, and maybe we can start here because I was always curious and I never really asked or had the time, you know, you, if I'm not mistaken, you, you went to China during high school and just I think you mentioned high school. just yeah. after high school. Okay. Cause I recall, you know, you were flipping around doing Tekken moves during lunch break at, in high school, you know, and, and I, I know you were on the path already. I could tell, you know, so yeah. I know that you had already been, and you started young. You know, and and um, you've you've done some amazing things. So why don't you just give a general idea about you know where you've been, where you're going, masters in acupuncture and oriental medicine, um, and and many other things. So just give a maybe general overview of what you do now and where you've been. How did you get here? It's, it's funny that you said that I've lived five lives already. We have a a running <laughs> joke with my my teacher, both my my lineage elder, but also my teacher of acupuncture and Asian studies. And you know, when I first met him. We'd sit down and be like, wait, why didn't you do this? And when did you do that? You lived in Korea and you lived in Japan. You did this and you studied that. And you got this degree. That It's like, man, you've crammed like 40 lifetimes. Into this. It's like <laughs> this timeline does not make sense. And no. now I've embarked on this part of my journey myself. It's more and more people come out to me like, wait, this you're 42. How did you do all this? Right? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's pretty cool how those things roll out. But, um, you know, I, I was blessed in some respects by, I don't want to say a cursed upbringing, but definitely not a silver spoon upbringing. I like to say that I was a, a child of a plastic spoon family. We were privileged enough as children, as a child, I'm an only child to um, 
have macaroni and cheese and hot dogs, craft macaroni and cheese and hot dogs many a nights for dinner. And I was sitting at a Tony Robbins event many years ago and doing some past life regression kind of or previous previous life regression, I could say. Thinking back, like where you came, what happened. I remember having a childhood memory of my parents sitting at the dining room, the dinner table in the kitchen with us and me joking around with them that my bowl was so much fuller than their bowls where I was like, I got all the mac and cheese. I got all the mac and cheese only to realize, you know, at 35 plus years old at that point that it was really them giving of themselves to me, right? There wasn't enough to go around and they were generous enough to make sure that their child was taken care of, which is an amazing place. And I look back now and I find so many similar threads woven through the fabric of my past. You know, I was baptized Lutheran to make my grandparents on both sides happy. You know, at least there was some religious background going on. Right. And my parents are like, well, you know what? Like if there is a pearly gate in the clouds and there is a fiery hole in the ground, <laughs> at least you'll be in the clouds. You may not get in the inner courtyard, but you get through the gate. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be in general admission. You won't be in VIP area you know? you'll be backstage. Well put. So I was like, all right, cool, I'll, I'll take that. And what that really did is what they gave me was the opportunity to explore for myself that I wasn't brought up like many people are like, oh, we believe this, so now you believe this. I'm Catholic, I'm Christian, I'm Jewish, so now you are. They allowed me to truly find out who and what I was and what my own internal beliefs were. And that led me to study pretty much every book that I could find from pagan and occultism to Wiccan things, to dark arts and bright arts and all sorts of things in between. My entire life, I was on this journey to, to understand, to, to help myself, to try to find, to resolve some level of suffering inside of my own existence, right? Uh, oh no, did we lose you? What happened here? Mm, you just, your, your voice kind of broke up for a sec. Oh, you don't see me? I completely mm. lost you on my screen. Where'd you go? Let me see. I see you. Do you still hear me or no? I can hear you. That's so weird. But my yeah, your voice got is completely gone. Your voice got jittery for a second. I'm still. It looks like I'm still functioning here. Let me see. Let me see. All right. Well, I'll just do it without seeing your face. So. <laughs> that is absolutely as as you fine. Can see me, that's fine. Yes. No. No. Keep going. I can see you. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. All right, that's what's important. So, um, yeah, so I got to study all these different things, and it really gave me the place to kind of come at from myself and figure out my understanding of the world and make sense of the things that were going on in my life and in my mind and my heart. And, you know, I was always an insecure kid, and because of that, I was always looking to try to prove myself, and I always wanted to get into martial arts, and my dad was a, a big, strong, tough guy. He was a biker type of dude, and, you know, definitely the protector and provider for the family, and uh, we always would watch like WWF back in the day and Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee movies. And, you know, I always felt, I didn't realize at that time, but insecure within myself and unhappy with myself and unsatisfied with where I was. And don't know why as a child I felt that way, but I always felt like I had something that I wanted to prove and something that I needed to prove and that I didn't quite fit in. And I had some violent outbursts. You know, my dad had, I don't want to say some anger issues, but definitely didn't release it in the best ways possible sometimes. You know, there was times where, you know, something would get thrown or hit and that's what it was. It was never mean. It was never bloody, never violent, but just a release of things. And 
I kind of watched him emulated, learned that. My mom banned me from ever learning martial arts, thinking that I would use <laughs> it against her. Right. Um, and then we met, you know, our mutual friend back in high school, Corey Virock. And he had been trained in martial arts. And, you know, I started training with him as his practice dummy. And after about six months of getting my ass handed to me every day after school as he practiced his two moves on me, <laughs> my mom realized that it wasn't uh, a bad thing for me to do these things and signed me up for the same dojo that he was going to. And uh, between that and my my religious studies and my search for understanding through the occult and mystic arts and esoteric practices, I uh, got really into the Chinese energetic arts of Qigong and Tai Chi and internal alchemy and things. And one thing led to another, and I ended up going to China and living at the temple in China to study martial arts. My true search there was to become the best martial artist I could. I wanted to learn the dimmak. I wanted to learn how to kill people, the death touch. Right, death touch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're dead now. You know, I figured it was based on my own insecurity. I was like, why would anybody want to learn from me if I'm just an average martial artist? Right. But if I learn this dimmak that nobody in the West knows, everybody will come to me and I'll be successful and I'll feel good about myself. And right. Now, one thing led to another and I ended up coming home from the temple in China earlier than I was planning on it and uh, enrolling in school for acupuncture. I figured, okay, well, now I got some of this Chinese energetic practices and I have the martial art backgrounds, but I don't know these acupuncture points and the theories behind this. Let me learn that stuff. Again, still on the quest to kill people, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which I tell all of my patients when they're on the acupuncture table, like, how'd you get into this? I'm like, well, I wanted to learn how to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> you find the right meridian and it's all over. Well, yeah, well, hopefully not. Hopefully not, right? So. One thing led to another with that man, and I graduated my school. I graduated near the top of my class at 3.98 for my first master's degree and followed up with a second master's degree in oriental medicine and never really looked back, man. From that point on, it was about helping others through figuring out the ways to help myself and started delving into personal development courses and seminars and touring the planet and finding great teachers in those arts as well as in the Eastern sciences and while I was in my graduate program for acupuncture, I met my teacher, Dr. Jackowitz, who's mentioned in the book, Dr. J, man that had 40 lifetimes in, in one lifetime. And after several years of begging him pretty much every day, hey, teach me this stuff, hey, teach me this stuff, hey, teach me this stuff. I finally kind of passed the uh, fight club test of standing on the porch for three days, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Proved myself worthy and he took me in and started teaching me and Ended up going back to China with him after several years, about seven years of weekly practice with him in the, uh, the lineage tra tra uh, traditions of the Longmenpai Taoist sect, which is one of, if not the oldest lineage of Taoism in China. It's got a direct lineage line to the originators and the founders way back many, many generations wow. ago. And uh, I learned a, a lot of what I've learned from him and from other great masters in different arts and I really spent the last 20 years trying to solve the problems in my life and then sharing those resources with other people to help ease their suffering and lead them to lives of health, happiness, and fulfillment. That's wonderful, man, really. And I know this is a the abridged version for sure, but I'm, I'm glad that you're able to get give the audience a sense, you know, because yeah. um, the book is very powerful for a lot of the reasons that you already discussed because of where you're coming from sure. and how you allowed the path to guide you even though you had a preconceived notion about where you wanted to go, it, it, it showed you what it wanted to do. And, and you, and you let the energy flow that way. It was great. Yeah. Great way to explain everything, how you, you know, again, you started with a certain mindset and you, you felt 
guided in a different direction and you knew it was right. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful. And there, there were definitely some ups and downs on that road for sure. It wasn't like, hey, <laughs> right, right. success, dreams, and, po- uh, and my little pony all over the place. Right. <laughs> you know, born in rainbows every day. That's for sure. For sure. You know, and, and we're on a somewhat of a time limit. Otherwise, I would like to dive into the meridians because I'm very curious about getting into more of that. You can go into whatever you'd like, man. If oh, you want to sure. again, we can do a second, third, fourth one. I can talk about this stuff all day long. So I know it. I know. Well, you, you know, you found your, your passion in life, right? When you just want to keep talking about the same subject matter all day, like that's your spot to dive into. So you let's go so as deep right. as you want, my friend. You're so right. Beautiful, beautiful, man. Well, you know, I have, I think actually before we move forward, you perhaps you should pronounce your name and your lineage name. Because okay. it's on the screen now, and maybe people can get a, you know, just you to know, know how to say I it. can't see the screen, so that helps. Yes. Oh, oh, man. My name, my given name from my family is Ryder J. Champouillon. I actually don't know if that's how my last name is pronounced or not, because right. nobody in my family says it the same way. So that's just my <laughs> guess for it. I've been told it's Champouillon. Is it's Champouillon, yeah. But my grandfather was German, so I think oh, it's gotten man. mixed up before and after the wars. But my, my lineage name is Zhang Mingda. Uh, means the long archer is John, the the archer who's able to hit his target from a long distance. Ming is the character for brightness. It's the character of the sun and the moon put together, of the heavenly brightness. Mm. And Da is the Da of virtue. Wow. Uh, so quite a auspicious and honorable name that I'm very, very proud of. And my lineage is the Long Men Pai, which is the Dragon's Gate lineage from Tian Long Gong, the heavenly dragon's temple on Mount Qingchen in Chengdu, China. Wow. Amazing, man. Amazing. Mouthfuls. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, but it's also, it comes with a, just a, uh, you, it comes with respect. It comes with a, a high level of respect because you have done so much in other parts of the world and you're still living in the Western world as, a, you know, it's, very interesting that you're kind of balancing both east and west, sun and moon. This gives you the, the middle of your oriental of your lineage name makes sense, as a matter of fact. I, I like to say that I blend ancient wisdom with modern science. That's well said. I, I found myself through college being able to simply express the nuances and subtleties of the esoteric stuff from Eastern philosophy, as well as the complexities of medical terms from Western allopathic medicine. Right. And because of that, I was able to figure out how to blend these two things together and make what seems so kooky work, right? And right. two of my favorite quotes, one is from Aladis Huxley, says that a science so sophisticated seems as if magic to the uninitiated. Certainly. Right, Maybe so I works. love that one. And then another fun, fun one of mine is from Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I've learned from and studied with. Um, he says that science is the modern language of mysticism. Yeah, that's a very good way to put that, actually. And most people would never even believe you if they, even if they were you prove it, they won't believe you. But yeah, yeah. But now we're starting to be able to tell these things. We, we're starting to recognize changes on the quantum scale by people's thoughts, right? Oh, we can scan your brain, and while you're meditating on this certain way, you're breathing this certain way, you're holding your hands in this certain posture. The physiology of your brain is changing and your blood chemistry is changing. We actually see these things that the mystics talked about as being internal alchemy, changing the chemical makeup of your own body by your sheer force of will and metabolic power. 
we're actually seeing these things change. We can measure people's dopamines and serotonin levels and cortisol levels change in their bloodstream instantaneously. You can watch the patterns in their brainwave frequencies change instantaneously just by doing these chants and mantras, breathworks, visualizations, all these things that were woo-woo and magic sure. before are now scientifically proven on how and why they work and able to be reproduced at will. So it's we're living a really cool time for the mystic ages. It's fun. It really is, you know. And I know that even doing certain mudras with your hands and things, it, fingers in different directions, just it changes. You can intern. It's internal alchemy. It's a great yeah. way to put it. And I think I put that in quotes somewhere because I came up in your book and I thought it was well said. Internal alchemy for sure. Here's and, a little something like your your viewers can do right now if they right. want. Just have them close their eyes for just a brief second, right? And what they can do is sit with their hands palm down on their lap. And just become aware of your body and where you breathe into you. Do you feel like you're breathing into your throat? Do you take a breath into your chest? Does it go down into your stomach? And just be aware of that. And now very simply just turn your hands, palm up. And breathe the same way, but notice where the breath goes into now. Mm. Most people feel a very large difference that the breath goes down into their belly, into their diaphragm deeper. They get a deeper, fuller breath when their palms are up as compared to palms down. So just that little change in your body's energetic flows and anatomical positions can change the internal workings of how your diaphragm's tension is, how your blood oxygen happens, and then your alkalinity of your body changes based on how much you're inhaling and exhaling oxygen and carbon dioxide. So just a simple thing like that, you can notice a, per, a monumental change in the body. I absolutely noticed it, by the way. <laughs> it's really. weird. It's almost scary. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. Did my breath really change just by going like this? Like, is it what else am I missing? This guy's got some secrets. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I knew I had to have you on the show, man. You know, is it an electrical plus minus thing? What 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 exactly is that? It it really did. I mean, it went from hitting the back of my throat almost up, and I could tell, and I could almost see an image of it happening, and then it seemed to bypass that feeling and go further. Can't yeah, it's, it. it's an ancient Chinese secret. <laughs> that's good enough for me man i've got <laughs> anyone that watches this show is will be on board with that i assure you they can they can tune in for the second episode and we'll dive in deeper this way they get that buyback to come in to watch again in the future cool. i like it i like it i like it so you know now that we've been discussing the the all the concept that we just have i i think it might be best and this could who knows this could take up the rest of our time i don't know yet but and you you bring it up very early in the book which i think was a good idea of course healthcare versus medical care, mm. right? It seems to be one of the most pressing issues of the time, especially with the previous three years having been the way they were. Yeah. Um, so what do you provide? Let's, let's start with that. What are you considering? Cause you call yourself a human optimization specialist, which I think is incredible and accurate. And um, where, what is, what is the problems with the current model of healthcare allopathic? if we want to call it that versus what medical write a volume of books on this. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. Right. And you don't need, you don't need a doctorate to figure this stuff out. You can look around at society right now and just take the average person, walk down the street and pick the first 10, 15, 20 people, the average person right now, do they have a healthy body composition? Would you say that they are excellent health or poor health, poor health? Yeah. Look at their mindset. Are they based in negativity or positivity? Are they have excellent mindset and spirit or a poor mindset? Average person, poor mindset. How is their relationships with themselves, with others, with their intimate people? 
poor. What is their financial status? Poor, right? Like yeah. the average person today is doing poor. And right now, scary statistic, we are living in a time right now where not one, but two generations of our children, we're on the second generation of children that actually have shorter life expectancies than their parents. Right. But meanwhile, we have all this technology. We have all this speed, computing power, production power, but everyone is getting sicker, faster. The country itself has dropped down in health, in finances, in relationship, in life expectancy. We've gone up in medical necessity, up in drug prescriptions, right? And right. There's, there's an overarching pattern that we found, or I've found, and I think many other people have seen with Western allopathic medicine is the fact that no one is looking, medical doctors do not, and it's not by their own malicious desire. I used to think it was like, the medical system's out to get us. Right. And it's, it's not that, right? Like that was my own like anger issues coming up. <laughs> right. The reality is most doctors and healthcare providers, well, medical care providers today are going into their fields with positive intent. They really want the best of the people that they're practicing for. Absolutely. They just don't know any better. Their system is designed poorly, have poor educational standards. Their system is designed on learning what makes people sick and why people are sick, not what healthy people are doing. They study off the cadaver, a dead system, not a living, vibrant system. And the biggest marker between what I call medical care and healthcare, and I, my degree is in Oriental medicine. I'm an East Asian medical provider by title. Sure. But I realized some years ago, I'm like, I don't want to be a medical provider. Mm -hmm. I'm not a medical provider. I am a healthcare provider. And here's the difference. We got to define things, right? Defining things is the first step in understanding and progressing towards things. We don't have a definition for something. It has no meaning. And if it has no meaning, we don't know what it is to us and what we are to it, right? So right. what is health? First thing we have to do is define health. Health is the absence of the necessity of medical intervention. Medical intervention being pharmaceutical or surgical, right? Outside forces acting inward on the body. Right. So if health is the absence of the need of medical intervention, that would mean that you should be able to find a healthy person and a healthy person is not on drugs or not on not having surgeries. But if you find any person that's on medicine, they'd say that they're healthy. And that's just not the case. People right. that are on medicine are medically managing their symptoms, mm. right? If you have a high blood pressure condition and somebody puts you on a high blood pressure medication, your symptoms have gone down, but your disease pattern is not gone. Right. You take that medication away, they are not healthy. They are medicated because their symptoms would come back. And the same yeah. thing goes for inflammation. The same thing goes with anxiety, with stress, with cholesterol. All of the pharmaceutical medications that are given today, for the most part, the vast majority at least, are cover-ups. Right? They're made to extend the runway so a person has a longer length of runway to get the plane to take off before they hit the mountain so they can spend the time to do the work on themselves. Hey, you have high blood pressure. Hey, you have cholesterol issues. Hey, you have diabetic issues. Cool. You're about to die. It's going bad. You're not feeling good. Timeline's running thin. The mountain's getting closer. Let's extend that runway and let's get you on a diet program, an exercise program. But the doctors will just say diet and exercise. They don't know anything about diet or exercise. They just say, hey, go do it. Right. And we're going to give you this medication. And none of these medications that people are given have ever been designed 
or were intended for long-term use, and nor have any of them ever been tested amongst each other. What happens when you do two, three, four of these things? And now we're getting to what we're finding, generational medicines. Somebody comes in for disease pattern one, they get medicine one, it creates symptoms one. Now symptoms one got to be treated by medication two. Medication two has symptoms and side effects that are follow that. Medication three has to come in. And people are taking medications for their medications, medication. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And nobody's doing the things that healthy people are doing. You say, oh, look at this healthy person. And they're like, oh, no, 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 that stuff doesn't work. There's sure. no science behind it. It's like, there's plenty of science behind it. <laughs> fucking living. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is it. You are, so. Right. No science. Yeah, that's it. You know, that is like the final marker. It's, it's silly. And the, the other part that comes with all of this is that it's just what you said before, the mindset. The mindset is poor. Yeah. So even the right medication, I mean, they're usually they're usually not very happy and they're overweight and under overworked and underpaid. Yeah. And, and they, they look like it, they sound like it and they act like it yeah. and they're, and therefore their entire, you know, their entire mind, body, soul is already sick to begin with. It's, 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 you know, you can't get out of that cycle until you see somebody like you and not, you know, don't have this threat of, you know, what could happen if I do keep taking all of these medications or, I'm being, you know, fear I, with fear. I'm being threatened into insurance, expensive insurance. So I can actually deal with all this stuff and get all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's out of control. Unfortunately, the average person nowadays that you're talking about, right? The person that has multiple comorbidities that has some kind of metabolic dysfunction, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity, uh, microbiome dysfunctions, mental, emotional instabilities are all tied into the same thread work, right? It's all the same pattern inside the body. When we look at them and you interview them and you talk to them, there's a pattern that goes across the board for everybody. They all are consumed with disinformation, right? There's a lot of misinformation out of there. And there's so much information. Like we, we're, we're past the information age now. Like sure. there is more information available than anybody could ever consume in their entire life. There's no lack of information. There's right. so much I call it going Uncle Giuseppe's. It's the olive phenomenon. I go in there looking for olives and there's 10,000 types of olives and I leave without any olives. I'm like, I just right. don't know what I'm looking at and I'm not making decisions that I want to pick the wrong one. Right? I can't so, taste them, yeah. <laughs> that's where most people are. There's so much what I call disinformation out there that they don't know what applies to them and it's painful. And it's like, well, is this good for me? Is this not good for me? Are carbs good or carbs bad? Are good carbs good or good carbs bad? Is fat good or fat bad? Should I eat all fat or no fat? Should right. I eat all meat or all vegetables, right? Like this is whole like, what do I do? Everything works. You could very simply Google right now, will chocolate cure my vision or make me blind? And you'll right. find reinforcing information that chocolate will make you blind and chocolate will improve your vision. For, for both, and yeah. You can find opposites yep. on anything on the internet nowadays. So the problem is, are oh, it's the 3Ds. People have disinformation, they're disinformed right? They are disempowered, right? Their own self-will and self-belief system has been so beaten down that they do the, I've tried everything, nothing Never. works. It runs in the family. It's like, no, obesity doesn't run in your family. Nobody in your family runs. That's why you're all obese. <laughs> nice. I like that one. Right? It's hurtful. It's sad. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's the- No, but that's how it happens. That's, that's where right? it usually comes from. And, and of it's course- It's a learned phenomenon, right? So people are, are disinformed, they're disempowered, and then they become disengaged, both with themselves, society around them, and the good behaviors that those people are successful or doing that they're not. So how do we go about curing this, right? What's the opposite of that? Well, the first thing is education. 
right? If we give people proper education as to, hey, these are why these things are good and bad and why how the body works and how your mind works, the mind-body-spirit connection, people are then at least informed. And they can make an educated decision if they choose to take another path, right? Here's information on why you should get vaccinated. Here's information on why you shouldn't get vaccinated. Here's how your body handles the things. Here's all the information that you want. Now, please go take that choice for yourself. Now, make Rather than just being like, oh, well, they said it on the news, so I'm going to do it. (laughs) We need to educate people so at least they can make an informed decision rather than just acting blindly and potentially being manipulated by people around them. Once they're educated, now we got to get them empowered, right? And that's what you're talking about earlier, about having that belief in themselves, having their spirit shine up, having a a vibrancy and a belief or even just a a hint of a possibility. Hey, if it worked for somebody else, it could work for me, right? One of the jokes I say with my clients all the time because people come in all the time, oh, my back hurts. I've tried everything or, oh, I need to lose weight. I've tried everything. And excuse my French, I asked him straight out, have you ever fucked a pineapple? (laughs) I like, excuse me, what? And it's a great state change. It changes their pattern immediately. Like, oh, oh, yeah. What's going on? And the, the male face and the female face are very different, which is even more. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but it, it breaks their pattern and it makes them kind of think we're saying like, well, no, I actually haven't tried everything. I've tried this one thing over and over again, uh-huh. repeating the same bad plan that didn't work. Right. Right. So we have to educate. We have to empower them, give them the belief that they can give them the resource to be able to look and see other people who have and let them know, hey, if that person did it. You can do it, too. Once they're educated and they're empowered, the third part of anybody being successful in anything that they want to do is being engaged in it. They need to be engaged in it from the morning, from the moment they wake up in the mornings, when they go to sleep at night, they have to dedicate themselves to it, not dabble in it. And even most importantly, they have to engage with people of like-minded beliefs. The same reason why an addict, an alcoholic, a drug user has to go to a meeting and not go to the bar. Can't hang out the same people you get high with if you're trying to stay clean. Right. Yeah, really. Just a bunch of friends doing this. They probably saw them the night before at the bar. And now they're at this thing. Go hang out the same crew. You're going to have the same results, right? So those, those are the three things I think that if we were to make change, that's how it happens. And that's how I've implemented change with all of my clients, the thousands of people that I've worked with from their mental health, their physical, emotional health, their physical health, whatever it might be, whatever problems they're trying to overcome, it's that three-part pattern, right? It's educating them, it's empowering them, it's getting them engaged in the actions, beliefs, and cultures that support those things. And then after that, all they need is the the CPSM formula, which we go into the book, which is a really, really great one. It's a success formula for anything that you do in your life. Consistency, persistence, and a strategic method. You got to do the same thing over and over. You got to be consistent. You don't change variables left and right. If you're making right. a soup, I don't change how much spices I put in. Mm-hmm. I put the same things each time. And every once in a while, maybe a little bit more salt and see how it tastes. Maybe a little bit more oregano and see how it tastes. One variable changes at a time. So I know what's actually making the change. And then I got to be persistent. When I get got knocked down, I got to get back up. We're not going to get things on the first try. We got to try over and over again. As we learn, we hold ourselves up more. It's like a boxer, right? It's not how fast you get up after you get knocked down, right? It's not how many times you've been knocked down. Those things are all against you if you're boxing. You take too long, getting back up, they call you out for a knockout. If you fall down too many times, guess what? You get a TKO, right? It's about being able to get up and stay up longer. And that's the learning curve. And the final most important thing is this, the, the strategic method, right? You can get up every single day, walk the same direction, and go east looking for a sunset. Mm-hmm. and you'll always fail. It's the wrong methodology. 
And that goes back to educating people on what the proper methods they are, are out there for them and educating about who else has done it for them as well too. Who's similar, who can you emulate? Who can you use a role model? If you follow the same strategies and plans somebody else has, guess what's going to happen? You'll get similar results, if not maybe even better results. Right. A little bit of your own flavor too, and it helps you be, be different at the same time. People are worried about being like a you know repetition machine, but that's not the point. The point is that if a successful um, strategy works, then you should do your best to at least emulate it in some way that you can try to find your own success. I mean, that's, that's sensible. Most of the people I find that have the hardest challenges with being successful in their own right is because they feel like they're special and they don't need to follow the rules. And like, yeah. well, everybody did this way. I'm just going to do it my way. I know better. Sure. Right. I did that shit until I landed myself up in rehab. Right? <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I don't need a list of professionals on how to get myself sober. I know uh -huh. more than enough. And 27 years of alcohol abuse and substance abuse kind of said, hey, you know what? Probably should do this a better way. My way is not working. My way ended me up right here. All of my best decisions in my life ended up me in this right here, this moment. So every once in a while, we got to give power up and say, hey, maybe my way is not the best way. Maybe I'm not the smartest monkey that I know of. Maybe I need mm. to find some smarter monkeys to hang out with. <laughs> I think this is a big problem with just human nature in general. And since you had mentioned things like culture and schooling, they seem to be doing their best to kind of, they're suppressing us by design, you know? And you, I quoted you from the book saying, getting out of our own way. Mm. And I believe we're trained to do the exact opposite. It's like, do what you're told, work this cubicle and you're going to be fine. And maybe you'll get a pension. And if, if there's pensions, by the time you're done, you'll get a pension. Lucky yeah. you. And, and <laughs> it's, it you know, there's a lot of things going against us. And, but it's not, it just appears that way. And it depends on how you see things, how you're raised or how you're shown to see things. Yeah. Everything you, is perspective. Everything is perspective. Right. And that's yeah. one thing that, I mean, do you think that this feels, cause I teach uh, bass guitar primarily, and I've been teaching for a long time, you know, over 20 years. And sometimes people say, why is this note? Why did, why did it, why was it okay when you played this note? And it just didn't work when I do it. I said, you have no, your intention is zero. You have no driving force that you did it on purpose. You just, you just kind of did it. Just lazily threw it out there. Do you think that intention could actually be the, one of the most important aspects of anything anyone does? Genuine intention. Yeah. I, I love that you're bringing that up. There's a basic theory in Chinese medicine. This isn't even in the Taoist spiritual side mm -hmm. of things. This is straight out of traditional Chinese medicine books 101. Right. And it says, E, I'll translate back and forth between the Chinese and English for you. E is your intention. Right. right? It's your guiding principle. It's what your, what your ideal goal is, right? What, what are you really trying to do here? E lian qi. Lian means leads to qi, right? So your intention leads to your qi. Qi is very often mistranslated as to being like all this crazy woo stuff. Oh, it's your energy. It's your life force. It's the <laughs> mystical thing that binds everything. Like it's the force from Star Wars, right? right like, right. and it is and it isn't, right? Like mm -hmm. there's many other ways we can explain it that are much more tangible to the, especially the Western mind, right? Like we can look at it in some respect as being the sum of your body's metabolism, right? Your body's ability to break things down, to build things back up and how that process affects the universe around us changes the environment around us. You could also look at it as well as the sum of your mind, your body, and your breath, right? Mind, body, spirit connection. Right. Right. So chi is also your ability to do work, right? If you have strong chi, you're able to do more. You have better work capacity. 
right? So your intention leads to work capacity or metabolic ability. Your metabolic ability, qi lian shen. Your qi leads to shen. Shen is your spirit, right? Your awakening, right? It's your, your, your true purpose. It's the joys of life, right? It's the warmth of the sun of your heart opening up and shining that internal sunshine through your body. Just as if you go outside on a, a rough day and it's sunny and you take a deep breath and go, and you feel the sun mm. rain down on you, that same feeling comes up from the inside when your own spirit is awakened. All right, so absolutely, you 100% nailed that one. Your intention leads to your metabolism, your capacity to do work and make change. That capacity to do work then leads to your enlightenment in life, as in things become lighter and feel better around you. Nice. Very well said, man. Wonderful. I'm glad anyone watching this is going to get something out of it guaranteed, you know, and there's so many things that, you know, we're, we're, there's no way I can get to everything I wrote, which is totally great because I'll, I'll have you back on. But, um, there's one, I wanted to, I wanted you to be able to mention one of the, a few of the things that are coming out of the book here. And one of the ones that before we do the five D's and the seven principles, cause I think that we, we can probably get those in here in time, but, um, there's two other things you had mentioned that I just loved in this book. And I feel like you're, you're making these things up and it, which it means it's coming from, you know, it's coming from the right place, but it's great. I love that you're putting all these things in a certain way to remember them. You're trying to offer, you're just, there's just gifts in every page in this book, by the way, it's just great, man. But your best friend, Sarah, stop, ah. rate and act yes. when it comes to stressful situations. My imaginary friend, Sarah, I'm going to flip through the book to you. It's brought up so many good points. I'm like, man, there are good points on every page of this book. I love it. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, I, I discovered Sarah by accident one day, man. I, uh, so I was having some hard times and having some challenges. And I do as I often do. I, I try to find threads of continuity in life, right? I try to find like, I listen to five different teachers. What are they all saying? What's the similar mm. things in that, right? And right. my teacher, Dr. J, also used to profess all the time, learn one, no 10. It took me a while. I'm like, what are you talking about? Learn one, no 10. So in a learning process of learning one thing, we need to be able to extrapolate it out and know that 10 other things surround it, right? So if I know I can use a screwdriver to turn something, I can poke and turn, what else can it do? Can it poke and scrape? right? Can I use it to point? Can I use it to hammer something, right? Like there's other things that can be done with it. How can you extrapolate the data from that, right? So, you know, I, I, I learned from lots and lots and lots of people. And there are some things that were in commonality to them. And many of them talk about detaching from the situation, taking a step back, centering yourself, right? Change your environment, clear your mind. And I was like, oh, stop. You got to stop. Okay, when I stop, what do I need to do next? Like, if I want to get myself to like the best state possible to be able to be resourceful enough to work with the abundance or limited resources that I'm feeling in that moment, what do I need to do to be resourceful? All the literature says the same thing. And the, in the temple in China, they used to have this running joke that was really funny. They say, if you want to live a long, healthy life, keep moving and breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that makes sense. That's good. Right. Like that, right? So. So I was like, oh, well, breathing, breathing is the key to everything, man. And one simple breath, you, you breathe differently for just one breath and you can awaken your brain and have a static charge to your body where you're invigorated and filled with energy at a moment's notice, anytime you want, no matter how tired you are. Information out there, you just got to learn it, got to access it, make it your own. So I was like, all right, well, what's the best 
way to breathe, to reduce our hyperactive nervous system, to calm our nervous state down. And it's very simple. All the research from all the scientific literature now says the simplest, most easiest way to do it is our box breathing or square breathing, where you breathe in for a count, Mm -hmm. you hold it for a count, you exhale for a count, and you hold it for a count. And that, through all sorts of ways inside the body, regulates both your vagal nerve and your phrenic nerve to send messages back up to your brain to get you out of sympathetic fight, flight, and freeze and bring you back to the parasympathetic rest, digest, and heal, which is where we want to be. If I was going to give you an all-expense-paid vacation to fight, flight, and freeze island or rest, (laughs) digest, and heal, we'd be over here all day long. I think so, yeah. The six square breathing is a simple way of doing that. There's also research that says it takes a minimum of six deep breaths for you to inhale and exhale out for there to be noticeable and measurable changes for the majority of people in both their brainwave states and the chemicals in their body, their biochemistry of their blood. Wow. Right. So take two separate different studies, put them together, and then they put in some research and studies that I have from the energetic arts from the temples of China and India and mysticism, and things like that. And we add in a little bit of visualization practices in the book. But very simple. If you don't get the book, cool. You're missing out. If you don't, I suggest you do. But you can very easily just breathe in for six seconds, hold it for six seconds or even four seconds, exhale, and then hold it again. Make sure it's not a tight throat breath. And you do that six times in a circle and it'll change your body state. And I'd be like, okay, cool. We're cool, calm, collected now. Now we're able to actually do the work. Running into a fire when you're panicked is not going to help you get anybody out of the building. Right. You step back, you assess the situation. Where do I need to go? Who's in the building? Where are they? How do I get there? You can formulate a plan, right? And that allows us to move forward. We got to get ourselves centered in that. So we have to stop for a stop, six square breaths. Then assessing the situation in comparison the things you've done before in your life, how does this rate? Is this truly the worst, scariest, hardest moment of your life? If so, we want to prepare ourselves for that right. and bring the warriors to the battlefield. Right. And if it's not, we don't need the warriors in the battlefield. It's probably <laughs> make too much clutter. Might just be like, hey, you know what? I've gone through so much worse before. Right. I was really just making a mountain out of a molehill. Let me, let me calm myself down and get off the exaggeration campaign. Right. So once we assess, right, we can go like, okay, cool. Well, what is this? Now I truthfully know it again. It's just like before. It's defining it. We're defining the situation. What does this mean? What's really going on? And you have to do so in an authentic way. He's like, oh, it's the worst thing. I'm like, no, really. What is really happening right now? My my wife is going to kill me. (laughs) No, she's just very upset with you because you didn't take the garbage out. Right. Like, (laughs) Take the garbage out. Everything will be good. Maybe give her a foot rub. Tell her she's beautiful. You'll be fine. That's it. That's it. We're like, ah. And we're not being resourceful with ourselves. Hmm. Right after we stop and we assess, then it's simply rating it. On a scale of one to 10, what's going on? Is this truly the worst thing that's happened or is it very simple, right? So what's actually going on in assessing it and then rating it on a scale of one to 10. So if it's a 10, you can act on it. If it's a zero, you're like, hey, I'm blowing this out of proportion. And then the last A, -A S-A-R-A, is simply acting. What are the action steps you need to take? Come up with a plan. If necessary, ask somebody else who's gone through something similar. What would your strategic method be, right? Back to CPSM. What methods and techniques have you used in the past that have been successful for you? And that's that, right? Stop. Yeah. Assess it. What is actually truly authentically going on? Rate it. Is it the worst thing that's ever happened or is it just something ambiguous? And then actually create an action plan and move forward for it. And Sarah, I bring around to me to any 
any challenges I have, any hard decisions I have to make, any conversations I have to have. I'm always like, all right, Sarah, come along. Come with me, please, again. You're my favorite person. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. And you also mentioned in the book to relate to stress and stressful things that stress isn't a feeling or emotion but it's an intensity or a volume, which we would call a, you know, a dynamic musically. Yeah. And I think that's very well said. You need it. It's just like when they were kind of getting crazy about fat maybe 30 years ago. They were you know, talking about the food pyramid and stuff. And now it's like, okay, fat's terrible for me? No, not at all. You know, it's, it's, all, it's, it's not something that you, it just disappears. You want it to go away. You need it in a certain way. You have to use it a certain way. And stress needs to be used and, and you have to let your body tell you when it's time to feel stressed or not. Make sure that you're using it for your own good, where it's meant to be. You have it for a reason. It's not just something. I got, I got a funny different. story on this one if you have a yeah. couple moments for this. So I was working with my own personal coach, personal development coach, helping me to elevate my life to a new set of standards and higher, better place. And we were working for quite some time. And during that time frame, you know, I kept coming to it. It was a stressful point in my life. So I kept telling him, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. And after several weeks of meeting yeah. that guy, he's like, all right, man, I get it. You're stressed. <laughs> You're not allowed to use that word anymore. Yeah, like, I like it. What we create, words we say, create vibrations, create energies. It's just going to come back to you. Just putting it out in the world, it's only going to come back to you. I was like, okay, fine. He's like, so yeah. you're not allowed to do it. The next month, you're not allowed to say stress. I'm like, fine, okay. So I got on my weekly call. And I'm like, man, Dave, I am so overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a smart little monkey. I'm not using stress no more. And on the fourth week, he intervened at Reset. He's like, good. He's like, I'm proud of you. That you haven't said stressed in four weeks. You've switched it for overwhelmed. Right. <laughs> and it means right. the same thing, but you broke that tie into that word. Sure. Said, I want you to do something. I want you to go home and for the next week, every time you feel this state of overwhelm or stress, whatever you want to title it as, right? Because how do you make a dog yours? You give it a name and you teach it to come when you call it. Right. Right. Oh, I'm stressed now. Ah, I'm stressed. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> ah, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. It depends on what you call it. It's the same freaking thing, right? So yeah. he's like, here's what I want you to do. Go home and every time over the next week, you feel this state of physiology and thought in your mind. Write down exactly what's going on in your body. Write down what, where is the tension in your face? Write down where are you thinking in your head? Is it in the front of your head? Is it outside of your head? Is it in the back of your head? Is it off to one of the sides? What do the thoughts feel like? Are they like tight balls of energy? Are they flashes of energy all over the place? What's your breath like? If you're seeing or visualizing something, a memory or something that might happen in the future, is it bold in front of you? Is it vibrant in color? Is it black and white? Is it big? Is it small? Is it loud? Are your shoulders up, your shoulders down? Are you breathing into your chest or your lungs, or your diaphragm? Are you breathing shallow or deep, slow, fast? What are your hands and feet doing? Are they tense? Is that cool? All right. He's like, I want you to write them all down every single time. Just write what happens. And the weirdest freaking thing happened, man. I had seven different patterns that showed up. Wow. They were all stressed. Yeah. Right. They're all different. And the weirdest thing about those seven patterns, three of them, they all were distinctly different. Three of them were actually positive emotions expressions. Wow. They were things like excitement. Right. I but see. my nervous system was so amped up at such a high level 
that there's a point where you turn the volume up anymore and the music just starts to crack. You're right, right. Yep. Right. The speakers just can't handle yep. it anymore. Overload. Or the amplifier blows and the speakers turn off, right? It overheats the system, it shuts down. And my nervous system was at that state. It was so frantic that even if something good happened, it was like system <laughs> 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 shut down. It was meltdown time. Wow. And I recognized that and I was like, wow. I'm calling all of these things thing the same thing. They're not all stress. They may all be stressing me. So I spent a little more time because you know, I'm very curious and inquisitive. Sure. I started looking into the medical definitions of stress and what happens to the body when it is stressed. And very curiously, your body will exi- exhibit many of the same physiological patterns of breathing, blood pressure changes, blood flow changes, temperature change in the body, whether you are laughing or you are angry. Wow. Right. There are some neurotransmitters that are different than hormones that are different, of course. But the sensations that we feel inside the body can be very similar. You can laugh yourself into high blood pressure. <laughs> Makes sense. Right. Like, OK, number one determiner of your stress. Let's take your blood pressure. Today. Oh, your blood pressure. Elevated. You sit there and you're laughing for five minutes <laughs> <laughs> and you take your blood pressure. It's going to be way elevated. Sure. It's going to be well elevated. Your face is red. Right. Like your temperature has gone up. Those are all things that are stressors on the body. And even good things can be stressful. Wow. Right? Just one of the key correlations and key distinctions I started doing with my clients in my, during my intakes with them. I no longer ask people if, how they are on a scale of zero to 10 being stressed. <laughs> right. I do that first because one of two things happen. I work a lot with achievers, yeah. you know, like type A's that are you know, business owners, entrepreneurs, C-level executives that have mastered their finances, but have lacked mastery in their health and their happiness, as well as the common person who's just like, man, like I'm, I'm at my wits end. I've tried everything. Yeah, right. right? The old, yeah. And the achievers give me one of two answers all the time. Oh, I'm at a 13. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm extra. I'm above. Right. right. Or they're like, man, I'm at a three, two, three. I got it under control. I'm like, oh, really? yeah. because you've scratched yourself bloody from like <laughs> on the side of your yeah, head. Yeah. So what I now ask people, and this is a great relationship because we can be overstimulated, but not stressed. And how we measure it is what percentage of your day do you spend reacting and responding to things around you? Sure. Your brain waves and the neurotransmitters released by your brains that tell your hormones, your glands, what hormones to release, which gives us our experience of life, right? Hormones give us feelings in the body, which is the language of our body. And our neurotransmitters and our brainwave patterns give us the thoughts, which are the language of our minds. And that creates our version of reality. Our feelings and our thoughts create our realities. Right? If we are in a state where we are reacting and responding to things around us, 80 to 90% of the time, like most humans and most Americans are, we are absolutely, anytime you're in a react and response state, your body is in a sympathetic fight, flight, and freeze state. Right. Even it's as simple as the stupid little blinking light on this contraption right here. Yeah. <laughs> my brain does not know the difference between that being a saber-toothed tiger trying to bite my ass or an email that just came in. Yep. Right, body just goes, oh, something to react to. And your brain only asks three questions. This is a really freaky thing if you think about it. Hmm. You look at any situation in your life, wherever you are out there, like write these three questions down and try to find something that doesn't fit this pattern. Your brain only asks three questions. What is this? 
What does it mean to me? What do I do with it? Wow. That's beautiful, actually. I, I don't think I've heard it put into those terms before. That's great. Yeah, that's all your brain ever does. What, what, what is this? It's a rock. What right. does it mean to me? Well, if that rock had hit you in the head before, you might look at that rock and be like, oh, God, that's dangerous. It could hit yeah. your head again. Or you choked on it. Oh, I could choke on that. Or it could be like, hey, it's a beautiful grounding energy. Right. Oh, this rock was given to me by my wife. It's a symbol of love. Yep. What do I do with it? Oh, I hold on. Oh, I got to stay away from it. Yep. It's all your brain does with everything around it. But the more asks ask those questions, the more heightened and elevated, the higher the decibel range, the higher the amplitude of its energy is going. It's sure. And then you're in bed all night, not going to sleep. And we are designed to be in that parasympathetic rest, digest, and heal state 80 to 90% of our existence. The healthy human balance is to be balanced in a parasympathetic rest, digest, and heal state 80 to 90% of our waking day. So we flipped it over completely. Oh, yeah. We reversed it 180. We are yeah, a yeah, I mean, there is clearly a screen epidemic, but more importantly, there seems to be a late night screen epidemic, mm -hmm. you know, where, or even multiple screens at the same time, you know, you both have it on, whatever you're holding, and the TV. Your phone on. in your hand, your computer in front of you, and your TV right. up on the wall, right? Sure. And you're laying down in bed ready to go to sleep. Your teeth are brushed. It's time to go to bed. Now you got another two hours of this, and then you try going to sleep. But I don't understand why I'm not sleeping well, and I don't feel rested in the morning. Well, I've, I've tried everything, Ryder. <laughs> Well, look at it. What what complaint have you had? Have you heard anybody say that isn't like every person that you know? Mm. They will all say, "Oh, I'm either sleepy, I don't have energy, I'm tired, I'm unrested, I'm fatigued," or they have digestive problems, definitely stomach bloating, or definitely. problems from their digestive system being upset allergies, immune issues, cognitive focal functions, right? All because of the microbiome being messed up or I have an injury that isn't healing. Right. Right. It's rest, digest, and heal. The three things we do when we're in a parasympathetic state, but we spend all of our time in fight, flight, and freeze. It means the switch is either on or it's off. Right. And if it's okay. off, guess what? None of that stuff is happening. Especially why everybody that you know doesn't sleep well, is, doesn't have energy, has digestive disorders, and has injuries that aren't healing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. As, as most things, it's pretty, it's pretty simple, isn't it? It usually comes down to something very simple. And if you can change your mindset, it might actually flip the switch right away. It could happen instantaneously. And it takes somebody like you to bring this information to people and kind of click them in the right direction. That's why you're here. That's and that why happens you're here. daily, right? Like it sometimes takes years for change to happen. But when change does happen, it happens in a moment. Well, in a moment, we're going to be out of time. So oh, really? I, think I still can't see you. My screen's off. So oh, I'm so sad about that. We'll show it to somebody and you'll watch along. And you'll see that we're no, well, both of our faces will be here for the, you know, for the, what, what's showing. So with the final minute, I will quickly glance over the things we didn't mention. You have your five D's, define, declare, delineate, delegate, and do. You've got yeah. the seven principles that guide heavier portion of chapters of your book. Finding balance, creating alignment, empowering intake, nutrition, creating suppleness and strength, clarity of intention, manifestation, and celebration. The thing a lot of people miss out on. And one thing I really wanted to get to, but we'll get to next time, is you said 1%. Change 1% 
every time. Don't go for the full guns and, and try to change it overnight. 1%, man. And all these things layer on top of each other, right? These, the seven principles are my methodology, right? That is the core of lifestyle healthcare, a system that I've created, right? Like optimal health is created and found by following those seven principles and like soft serve ice cream. You go around once and then you go about above it and you keep right. spiraling up as you ascend to greater levels that. of health, happiness, and fulfillment. And like I you said- that. The celebration is the number one point. It is the seventh step. It's the hierarchy of it, right. but it is the one step that is mixed throughout all of them. Right. That we need to celebrate on every step. On the first step, principle, second principle, third step, all the way around. Celebration is the key to life. The entirety of life, the whole reason why we are alive is simply for us to find fulfillment in our purpose, to find enjoyment with the things that we do and feel that because of our actions and because of being here, we are worthwhile. I think that's a that's a perfect note to end this thing on, man. It's been such a pleasure having you on, Writer. You're I I can't say enough good things about the book, the the layout, the messages. Anyone who's interested, the link will be in the show notes, and you will be back because we could obviously talk for five hours straight. And I'd actually like really to see late. you next time. Since yeah, I know, I know. Right? Since I've seen you, and I, I know. And now five minutes before my screen figures, man. Oh my god. All right. Well, there'll be plenty more where that came from. We'll have you back on. And I got plenty more for this show, news, interviews, episodes, all kinds of stuff. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate your time, man. I know you're my busy. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, people, for watching and listening to my stories and antics. And as always, like I always say, be well and live life fully. Thank you so much.